Hey everyone, I'm Eric. Welcome back to another episode of the SDR Game Podcast. My guest today is Michael Tuso, CEO and co-founder of Calypso. Tuso, great to have you here. Very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so today we are going to talk about a topic um, that is going to be a really big topic in 2023. So we're going to talk about expansion sales. And uh, with uh, Tuso today, we're going to talk about why it's important. And we're going to talk about um, maybe um, a new role that's going to um, take some place uh, next year. So, but before we are diving into the episode, uh, Tuso, can you can you Explain to the audience what you do uh, at Calypso. Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, I uh, co-founded uh, Calypso um, last year in uh, 2021 with my co-founder, Christian Ivanov. Um, he's the co-founder and CTO. Um, Calypso helps you um, expand your existing customer base, So, um, as well as helping out with uh, renewals and risk management as well. Um, so cross-sell, upsell, renewal is what we uh, help out with. Perfect. So um, what, before we, we, we go um, in the topic, um, we're going to talk about terms, phantoms. Words like upsell or cross sell. So, um, what's for, for those people who are listening, who are viewing, uh, watching this episode, uh, what's upsell and what's cross sell? Yeah. So, with upsell, you can basically think like more. So, more of your existing product being sold um, into into a company. And with cross sell, the easiest way to remember that is different. So you're selling something different into um, into a company. So those are the, the easiest, most simple way to uh, define an upsell um, or a cross sell. Um, some people also define like when you sell um, uh, the same tool into a different team. Some people define that as technically a cross sell um, as well. Um, so, but the that that definition could get a little bit um, different based on your your product. But generally speaking. Whenever you're selling more of your product, it could be at a higher ticket. It could just be to more people. Um, that's an upsell. And then a, a cross-sell is usually like selling them something uh, different or new. Yeah. And actually at Chibapa, it was cross-sell also was uh, selling to a different team. So that's, yep. that's why. Um, and what's happening right now? So because when we are uh, chatting on LinkedIn about this topic for today, um, what's happening right now to uh, thinking about having... SDR uh, focusing on, on customers and maybe we if I when we were chatting we were talking about uh, maybe instead of saying SDR maybe customer development representative so CDR so what's happening yeah um, I think that the customer development representative um, can be a really great career path for people who are currently um, SDRs or even people who haven't been SDRs before um, it's a different type of sale because you're selling into um, your current customer base. You're booking meetings into your current customer base, usually to help someone like an account manager get more meetings. Um, and so when you're doing that, the thing that becomes like king and like power paramount is context, like really having context into your um, current customer base. It could be something like usage data, being familiar with their contract value, um, have their objectives been met. So it's not good enough just to be familiar with product adoption anymore. Like we need to be knowing, like, are they actually 
doing what they set out to do when they purchase the products. Um, so I'm a big fan of the jobs to be done framework in this context. So like, uh, what did they hire you to do? And then like, are you meeting those objectives? And then that's your impetus to sell more within uh, in a company and really uh, often low hanging fruit. The other thing to think about there is that it's so much easier to sell into your current customer base. So as you think of like a contracting macroeconomic climate where maybe net new logos um, are difficult or longer sales cycle, they don't know you as much, maybe they don't have that trust, maybe they're undergoing um, uh, you know difficulties, let's just say. But the thing is, is like you already have been through procurement. You've already been through IT security. You've already gotten that approval to be on the approved vendors list for a company, um, which many times is like half the battle, right? Because when you're selling a new logo, um, you're you're not just selling to your champion and you know the, their bosses. You're selling to all these other people as well, and so. Um, the neat thing about the customer development role is like those things are taken care of, right? You've already um, signed off. Now, maybe finance can step in, you know, maybe that's still a concern. Um, but some of these other elements are, you know, you're, you're on the approved vendors list. And so it's much easier to sell to people who have, you know, already um, bought from you. And so I, I think that's, that's really important to consider. So the, this, the CDR role or the customer development representative, they prospect into their current customer base to set meetings for other people, the same way an SDR would set for AEs. Um, and I just think it's going to be such a critical role. And I also, the last thing I'll just say real quickly is that I think that people are going to have this role earlier, meaning there used to be these benchmarks around, oh, you need a certain like amount of revenue in order for this to make sense. And I think that's going to be like shifting lower. So I think that people are going to be able to figure out how to have a full-time person in this role and make them successful, profitable, et cetera, um, earlier than what was previously thought. And I think that that is a really good thing for sales. I think that's a really good thing for our customers um, as well. There is a number that you have a CDR? Or? There's not necessarily like a number, but like, and, and I would say it's like um, definitely variable by organization. So, um, but I have like at conferences heard like um, sort of like trainers put out like uh, sort of, oh, you need 40 million ARR or something like that. And I just really think that that's going to be shifting and people are going to be more successful with this type of CDR role earlier um, than, you know, than what was previously thought. Yeah. And I think this for also, if you have a company selling to the enterprise segment, for example, you don't need to have 40 millions to, to have this role because why we, that wasn't the first time, uh, we, we had the, the role at Chili Pepper. Um, so I know they were trying to have the role in, I think it was early this year. And then we started again. No, I'm sorry, it was last year. Uh, but we started the role again in June, and uh, but this time it was different. We the first time the in fact, we we call that ADR, but let's let's say CDR here. But the the first time the ADR was on the account manager team, and the second time uh, we had the ADR under the ASIA team, 
because the feedback we got is the account manager team, they don't have time to train and coach the, the ADR to go after the, um, uh, the, the customer. And uh, so, yes, they have one-on-ones, but they, they give them information, but they don't, uh, they, they are not helping them, you know, to um, uh, go after the account. So uh, what we try is uh, having them on the team and um, yeah, it was working uh, better because now the, they have the coaching and training from the DR team, but then we also use what the account manager I used to, um, to, uh, to expand on the account. Yeah, I think that's a good, a really good way to, to, to set it up. I think also, um, just like with the SDR role, like, you know, it could take a little while to build out success and you might not see success immediately. And so sometimes you see like people abandoning ship before you have even realized any of the value. And I think just like when you're figuring out an outbound motion or even an inbound motion, um, that this, it takes a little bit of time to figure out like what is working. Um, you know, something as simple, we used to do trainings on, um, with the account managers themselves, like how do you come up with compelling reasons for a current customer to respond to you, right? Because current customers can ghost you just like prospects can. Hopefully they're not ghosting you as much. Um, but like, what is that compelling reason that's really centered around them Right. I think like that's that's a that becomes it's important to do that. And when you're prospecting that new logo, it's essential to do that in the customer development role because they are they're current customers. And so, you know, someone that might be ideal for this type of role is like someone who is really good at like filtering through technology and understanding like data, like um, these like almost like SDR, a little scientist type. You know, you were like that quite a bit, you know, with uh, being able to, like, analyze data and move around seamlessly through the tech tools. Um, hopefully, we're able to consolidate some of that as we move forward and make it um, more contextual and just, like, there's still automation that needs to happen, um, I, I think, to, to help with this um, customer expansion piece. Um, but those are some of the, the good, good candidates for this customer development type role. Um, and also for people who um, might find an account manager to be an attractive like career option where maybe they're like, I'm not sure if I want to be an AE. I'm not sure if I want to be a CSM. The good thing about account management is you get to see both. Um, you get like some of that selling, but you get that context as well of the customer. And so it can ultimately be a really good career pathway as well into account management. Um, I frankly think it's like very fun as well. It's like really awesome to work with current customers and learning how to sell to them. Um, and it's transferable skills that you would gain that where you could easily pivot to other roles. So I think it's a really exciting um, opportunity that oftentimes has been overlooked. And so I think, I think, uh, I think we're gonna see this emerging more and more um, in the next couple of years. Yeah, and for, I think also if we compare to the SDR, I think the main difference also is maybe the SDR is more, it's less based on the building relationship because it's, yeah, you book the meeting and then they take over the relationship and then they close it. But then for the CDR, here you are going to build the relationship because you are going to build, use the champion you have inside the account, you're going to have um, 
different conversations with them. And it's not like just, hey, you booked the meeting and that's, that's it. Uh, you have this relationship. And then the second thing I, I found that's different from the SDR role, it's you have more um, cross-collaboration uh, inside the company also from uh, the SDR role. The SDR role, depending on the structure you have the, with the E-team, the, uh, on the uh, enterprise team, we had the SDR and AE part, so they had some collaboration. But then on the mid-market team, it was a round-robin system, so we didn't have like a, a, a lot of collaboration. But here on, on this role specifically, I think there is the relationship with the account manager, but also the CSM team, uh, because uh, the CSM and the account manager, they have different type of information that the CDR can use. And then the, um, also something we were uh, using, it was the, we had um, uh, the customer uh, marketing team also that we were using. And so it was super uh, valuable to use uh, the, those three teams to, for this function. Yeah, I think, um... Something I've seen recently done well with, with that is um, like SDRs have asked their managers for experimental type roles um, to, hey, let me try this CDR thing, see if I can, um, you know, add value in this in this context. And I've seen I've seen that go successfully, too, where they're like, I am attracted to that. I want to do this type of role. I also kind of see it and looking at the potential for the next step as this account management type role. Um, can we do a trial of this for, I don't know, six months or three months even? Um, and then something else as you were talking um, made me think about this role too was the uh, the whole uh, digitization of, of everything really um, and the PLG movement that we're seeing. Um, in the PLG movement, SDRs who are working in that are, in my view, more similar to the CDR type role because you're starting to get some of that context from free, freemium product offerings. Um, and so I think I think then that type of role where an SDR is trying to set meetings from people who have historically used your product um, starts to look a little bit more like this customer development role. And so I think the more um, resources, enablement, attention that we pay, we pay to that is, is really important. I think um, for as long as I can remember, all of the ops and the enablement and the training and the coaching was super heavy on the top of the funnel. And I think in order to build sustainable businesses moving forward, we're going to start trickling down towards that middle of the funnel and it's not, it's no longer like I can remember working on Salesforce where it's like, oh, I just want to close a deal and then throw it over the fence. I've literally heard salespeople say that. And I think that's, that's going to be, you know, going away. And I think we're going to start thinking about holistic customer relationships and kind of this always be selling mindset um, that ultimately is better for customers, but it's also better for us. Um, because the easiest person to get money from is the one that you've already gotten money from. <laughs> and so, um, so, so, so I think this PLG, uh, movement has, um, has something to offer for this, this customer development type role, even if you're calling it an SDR still. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's interesting too. Yeah. And for those who, are, who don't know, who are not familiar with PLG, it's product-led growth. Um, that's generally companies are more uh, sales-led. Um, they have a sales-led function. And now you have more, more and more companies with a, a product-led growth motion where basically it's 
you, you can't have a demo of the product. You need to, uh, to have a free trial first and test the product before uh, talking to a salesperson, for example. Well, usually the, um, the, the PLG will be used to um, in, indefinite freemium usage. So for example, um, if you take like our former employer, like Chili Fiber, that's definitely like a sales-led uh, motion for the time I was there. Um, and then Calendly, if you consider the um, uh, calendaring aspect um, of their tool that they offer for free, um, that's indefinite. And so that the idea is like they use the product and they can eventually convert. And it's it's um, it's, it's leading with a product at uh, conversion. And even at the earliest stages, that's how that's how Calendly grew, which is the story for Chili Viper is very different. Um, it was very much sales led um, there. And then when they're using the product, you get sort of product usage information and it becomes a little bit more com complex, but ideally also easier. I think the thing to wait for when someone is using your product for free is they need to have like realized something big and, it, and whether it's like super prolonged usage or, you know, a lot of times what we see is people like, oh, you downloaded XYZ or you installed our extension or whatever it is. Um, and then the salesperson reaches out too soon. And I, I, that's like a classic example of, um, you know, you want to kind of maybe wait a little bit and figure out like what is the moment to reach out where the customer has clearly identified something super valuable to them and that's your marker to reach out. And so that can be like really hard for a customer development representative or an SDR um, to, to figure out um, as well. Let's talk about prospecting uh, customers. So um, how do you approach a customer? Um, how do you prioritize your, let's start with how do you prioritize customers? Yeah, so the the prioritization piece is hugely important. The way that I like to think about this is pretty simple. Um, and so with with customer success managers, they should be, in my view, spending time with people who are paying you the most, and that's your prioritization. With account managers, it's a little bit trickier, and it's who has the greatest potential. So where you have CSMs um, are aligned towards who's paying you the most, like take care of them, you should have a little bit of um, an inverted approach with account management and customer development reps by potential. The problem is, is that people have a really hard time figuring out what that means and how to calculate it, how to forecast it, and, and how to part. That's a big problem in today's selling world. Um, and so we need to have a hard conversation on like what that looks like in terms of prioritization and figuring out what that potential or often referred to as white space um, is and that's a big avenue. Um, so sometimes I think people can fall short here because they only look at uh, product usage, for example. And product usage can be correlative, right? You could be using. I had a, a chief customer officer about a month ago tell me we're using their product, but I can tell you we're gonna turn, right? And so that's that becomes correlative. Now for a lot of businesses, if someone is using your product that can be a very obvious indicator that they're enjoying it. But what I'm saying is, is that it doesn't always mean that. And so if something is correlative, it's important to double click on it and figure out maybe more risk factors um, if you're trying to consider churn. Um, maybe um, like have they, you know, have you been in contact with a uh, above the line, like a power person 
So how do you visualize that information? Um, are, are, is your sales team keeping everything um, in their heads? You know, so many times I've, I asked him on the other day, how are you, how are you prioritizing your expansion sales? He says, oh, easy. You know, I'm not, I'm not having a problem with that at all. It's really easy. I have this list of 450 accounts and I comb through them every day. And he's like digging and, and it, it seems like, you know, like this huge monumental undertaking. And then we had a whole conversation around that because he realized that like, you can get used to things that are bad for you. <laughs> and like combing through your account, 450 accounts every day to try to find tiny nuggets is maybe not the best way. Another thing that comes up is, is um, tribal knowledge, right? Like tribal knowledge is, you know, is one way to learn, but the problem with it is it's really inefficient, right? If you learn something on the sales team and then like I find out whenever you tell me, like that's a very inefficient process. And that's how people are handling expansion sales and account management today. It's very real and in this customer development role, it's very reactive. They're not spending a lot of time figuring out prioritization. They're not um, understanding risk factors when it comes to renewal. They're not identifying what are those indicators of expansion. You know, if they're using A, that should be an indicator of what the next product to sell um, is, you know, at what usage level. And we need to be much more scientific about how we're um, approaching this. And, and then we're arming our, C, you know, our CDRs with this information. It should not be up to a customer development rep to have to figure all this out on their own. And then if they're not successful, oh, that didn't work. No, this is like a business initiative that goes all the way up to the CRO um, all, all up and down the lines of, you know, command there where everyone should be thinking about this because it's so vital and important to the business. Um, and the last thing I'll just say with that is, um, is, is that NRR metric is what you're trying to um, improve, which stands for net revenue retention. And so when you look at gross re revenue retention, you're just saying like, who are we keeping? But you need to measure who are we keeping against how fast are we expanding and growing our accounts as well. Um, and, and VCs tend to really double click on that NRR metric. Um, but if you're only looking at ARR and net new logos and SDRs and AEs, you're missing a big chunk of your business. And so you're starting to see like VPs of sales pay attention to this, CROs paying attention to this, people get promoted into director and VP of account management um, so that they can solely be focused on this NRR um, metric that then can help the company be more profitable and sustainable as well. Just go back on the triggers you are mentioning that they can use to prioritize. You mentioned product usage, uh, that's one, but what the, what other triggers can, can a CDR use uh, to prioritize an account? Yeah, so it's um, one is product usage. Um, maybe you have tri time triggers, like um, I've seen some people like check in after a certain amount of time. Um, not everything is a license based. You can have like consumption based pricing models. So, um, so maybe uh, maybe product usage is more important to someone who has um, a consumption based model, for example. And then you just kind of get them in that next tier. A really low hanging fruit, if we're talking really really low hanging fruit, is overages. Um, I see that happen a lot. Where they have, um, how are they tracking against like what they've purchased? Um, against like what they're currently using. Um, that often is like super low hanging fruit. And then if you, if you see them approaching a certain threshold, 
you can proactively reach out beforehand. So that's a little bit more elaboration on the product um, usage as well. Um, also like identifying if they're using X product, what is the next candidate for them to um, be able to sell? Um, what's the next team that they um, uh, could sell based on what they have purchased um, already is another one. Um, and yeah, those, those are a few others to think about too. Now, let's say we are going, we are talking about the accounts. Um, so let's say we pick one of the best accounts we can go after right now. How do you prioritize your um, prospects inside this account? Yeah, so I think the first thing is like visualizing it. Um, so I think like, um, again, like I think a lot of people try to keep, keep this information in your head, but if you're managing, even if I was managing two accounts, trying to keep all that information in my head is like very difficult uh, to do. I think, Salesforce is definitely a really great tool, but maybe you're not talking to all the contacts or maybe contacts are missing or um, th things like that. So I think it's important to be able to visualize things and account maps as thing number one, I would say. I think contacts should have notes from there. I, th I think understanding relationships, like for example, we'll use Chili Piper since we both work there, but like if you sold into a, a marketing team, visualizing that on a map, And then being able to say like, oh, I can sell into the sales team. Like, who are those actors? What are those intros look like? Um, you know, who are those important people? Being able to take notes from there, like that's hugely essential. And what's happening, this sort of status quo for that today is people are keeping that information in their heads. Um, and I think that's really difficult to be proactive with cross-selling and expansion when this information is stored in your head alone or um, or, you, or you don't have that, that context that you need. Because, you know, Salesforce provides some of this information, but it's like list form. It's really can be difficult to understand. You have to like think about it too long and it's, it's difficult. I think what's needed is like a much more visual approach for people. So you can just glance at it, be like, this is where I am. This is what they're using. This is where we need the intro for the next step. It's super clear. Um, and, and this is like what, what needs to happen. So in that Chili Piper example, you sold to marketing, the clear next step would be selling to sales and then maybe selling to post sales and going on down the line until you've sold this product to, to all the different possible departments um, that, that you can. Actually, at Chili Piper, that's the problem we had because um, when we are trying this uh, ADR role with Amina, uh, she we didn't have any information inside Salesforce. So we need to go to talk to the account manager, the CSM, to get the information, and we are starting to document everything to have everything in one place. And so then we can the account manager, the CSM, could use that. So, but yeah, that's um, yeah, that's a really good point. So, um, do you? recommend to start because what we were trying and i'm going to start be, uh, talking about this because we um, what we were trying we were trying or to talk directly to the champion but sometimes also to go after other because we are on the enterprise segment sometimes we are uh, if the us team was using the product and the eme team was not using the product we are going to talk about the marketing team in yemia and talk about hey how, this, this is how the US team is using the product. What do you think is the best or do you have any tips for that? Yeah, so so many thoughts here. So um, prospecting is so crucial to post sales. 
when um, in, in teams I've managed in the past, when they are prospecting and setting meetings for the account management teams, and you are tracking those number of expansion opportunities that are real and set, it is like directly correlative to revenue in a very strong way and it, almost a stronger way than I saw in managing pre-sales teams. So these meetings that you're booking are super important. Um, now, with, with the example that you gave to, um, say you have a champion in the U.S. and you're trying to sell into EMEA, is that the case? Okay, so so there's a couple of different scenarios that could happen, right? So one, you reach out to the champion and you say, hey, you're using the marketing team in the U.S., like, you know, I'd like to, you know, chat with you about expanding that into like EMEA or at least getting like an intro to your contact there. Now, a couple of things could happen. One, they could say, you know, I don't really talk to the EMEA team. That's that's one that I've encountered quite a bit. Um, maybe they do know them and you get that intro and then you're able to have that conversation. Um, but a lot of times you're going to encounter friction just like you would in any sales motion. And that is not the point to give up. That's the point to keep going and trying to figure out, um, you know, different ways. And, and maybe you, you almost have to go outbound to that person, right? And you can, um, there's no question that a warm intro is, is the strongest approach that you could take. But if the person is unwilling to do so, um, then that's when you have to get like creative. And I think that point right there, when your current contact is, doesn't know the person or is uncomfortable making the intro, is where a lot of people stop. And at that point, it's important to transition almost into a little bit of an outbound um, mentality um, to try to convert that white space. So what are the things that you could do if they say like, oh, I don't really know them. I, I don't feel comfortable with an intro. Um, you can, you know, ask them, is it okay if I reference like we're using your, uh, that you're using us in the U.S.? Oftentimes they'll say yes. So then you can start to craft this message, hey, you're using us in the US, I'd love to, um, you know, craft a conversation and, and show you how they have been successful. And it doesn't necessarily need to be like, hey, you need to buy right now or anything like that. Like it's, it's, it needs to be like really easy for them to hop on the phone with you. Um, that's a classic way I've seen like being able to book a meeting, like where you, even if the person isn't introing you, maybe you can still figure out how to make it warmer um, there. Um, maybe you try multi-threading. Maybe you don't just go after the director, but you go after the managers. Um, even like reps, I've seen like, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you only have to go after decision makers. There's so many deals that I've like closed because like an individual contributor introed me to that person after they were like, oh my God, we need this. Even at Chili Piper, like there's so many tools we bought. So I think like, the the whole like dm approach decision making only targeting the decision maker yes it's really important but what do you do if they're unresponsive and so the answer is not to give up the answer is to you know harness some of this creativity and create plays for this too like map out what has been successful and document those things for this role and uh yeah so th those are a couple of thoughts there with your strategy, are you thinking about, hey, let's start on upsell, looking for an upsell opportunity or cross-sell um, directly? Or what's your thoughts on that? Um, when when reaching out to the person in EMEA? Um, no, I'm sorry. Uh, when you... I'm sorry, because now I'm... I think maybe this question will be before before that. So when you go after an, a new... Not a new account. With uh, your customer 
Uh, obviously, I think the, the easiest way uh, it's to think about uh, how can we upsell to, to this team because uh, if we know that they have, uh, if we take the example of Chili Pepper, they have uh, 50 SDRs, only 20 SDRs are using the product. So we know that uh, here it's uh, easier to convert. So do you prefer to prioritize upsell first and then cross-sell or what's your, uh, your thought on that? Um, I think it is entirely different based on the company that you're in because like, for example, um, what if you have like one product, right? If you have one product and you can sell horizontally to all the different teams in a company, that's very different than if you have many products and you're selling deeper into a specific persona. And so your strategy is going to be completely different in a horizontal versus like a verticalized approach. But the reality is, is most companies are somewhere in the middle. And so um, if you're trying to sell to maybe a couple of personas with a couple of different tools, like this is where white space becomes really important because um, <clears throat> how do you document when is the right moment to reach out for more and when is the right moment to reach out for different um, and each company needs to undergo that process of figuring out like um, what what that is um, for, for themselves. Um, some of it is, uh, like I said earlier, like time-based. A lot of it, it can be like uh, product usage um, as well. Um, so I, th I think like identifying like and, and paying attention and trying to just simply book opportunities. Um, what, what I'm seeing right now is is people not that's that's why I think the CDR role is so important because it helps you focus on opportunity creation in post sales, which I can see um, is often very much lacking. Um, and when you do create those opportunities, their chances for success um, are greater than in pre sales. And so, um, so I, I, I think like starting starting with the CDR role is, is really great in helping these account managers close more business um, and mapping out what that white space is based on your current product offering. Now, now that makes sense here yeah, because I imagine the context will be different for, for each company. So yeah, that's why it could be different. Okay, so now I have some questions more about you and your sales career. Um, that I wanted to, to ask you. So what are the three books that have greatly influenced your sales career? Yeah, so the first one that comes to mind is 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. I say it on every pod podcast. Um, I hope that people read it. Um, it's a really good book. Um, I think it's it's essential for uh, business leaders um, and even like, you know, people in individual contributor um, roles as well. Um, that would probably be um, the number one uh, choice. The second one, I just am a huge fan of Never Split the Difference. Uh, you know how much I love that book. Um, so I think that um, th that book is really critical for um, negotiation skills and helping you get better um, at sales. But, you know, it helps you with like life skills, too. And I think that it's it's I think everyone should read um, those two books. Um, in particular, I think um, I'd say the third is probably Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, so I think I am a huge fan in general of like, how can you look at psychology, you know, and or or other disciplines in general, and then take those learnings and apply it to sales. Um, to me, that's like super interesting. Um, I do like reading sales books as well, but um, 
but I think those uh, looking outside for an interdisciplinary approach has often um, been really helpful. I also read a lot of fiction, um, and the thing with fiction that I think can be overlooked in the business world is how much it helps with our writing. Um, you know, being a good, you know, writer is essential for the digital world. Um, and often that skill set gets overlooked in hiring and, you know, uh, career development and things like that. The thing that fiction has helped me with is being able to help me with my own writing and clarity of thought. And so I always like recommend like, you know, if you want to be a good storyteller, yes, reading books like building a story brand is important because it, you know, highlights storytelling in this nonfiction way. But I think there's tremendous value in actually reading like fiction books to like see how people actually do it too. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your sales career? Oh, meditation for sure. I think um, it's just like clarity of thought, uh, improved relationships, like being able to like um, identify trends. There's just so many things that it has helped me with. So meditation for sure. When did you did you start? Uh... When did I start meditating? Uh, 2017, I believe. What was the reason for you to start? It was, um, it was, uh, uh, a sales rep <laughs> came into our office and, um, had an, our entire company on our lunch break meditate for something simple, like three minutes. Um, and I was like, okay, like let, you know, I felt like I was actually meditating where I was like trying to follow my breath and it was like really impactful. And it was only three minutes. I was like, I can do this. And then I did it like every day for two weeks because um, we had like a free trial to Headspace. And then I went from three to 10 and I really liked doing 10. I felt like, and I just felt like calmer and more clarity. Of, clarity of thought was a big thing. Um, and it helped, I felt like it really helped me be a ma better manager, but I also felt it helped me um, be more mindful in sales because it really tremendously helped with awareness um as well and so um so yeah it was a sales rep that came into our office everything goes back to sales what advice would you give to a smart and driven new cdr or someone who wants to start in texas and what advice should they ignore oh that's a really good question so um the first thing is i i think the thing that was like invaluable to me was um finding like mentors and i think like that is not a passive exercise. I've seen some people just like, Oh, I can't really find a mentor or whatever. Like, um, I think it can be like a proactive, like exercise as well. Like who are people with maybe a little bit more experience or just have done something that you want to do or, um, you know, or just learn from like one of my earliest sales mentors is still one of my biggest mentors and advocates today. And it's like, when I feel really stuck, I still go to her you know, um, and all it took for that relationship to be developed was she looked at me one day and I was really nervous about closing. And she's like, you're going to be really good at this. And that's like all I needed to hear. Right. When I was like early 20s trying to figure out how to close deals. And like, it, it was totally unlike anything I had done before in, in college or school. And that, that's all I needed to hear. And then, um, from, from there, um, you know, we have this burgeoning relationship that, um, has lasted over a decade. Um, so, so that's, that's thing number one thing to ignore. Um, oh, okay. So I think a lot of times I've noticed, like, especially like on LinkedIn, like 
prospecting advice or sales advice often comes across in the form of preferences. And this is like a really recent observation I've had, but like, um, a lot of advice that you see is often like people who have maybe not sold in 20 years or five years even themselves. And I think that can be like a little bit tough to, to, and it doesn't mean that you can't ever take advice from people, but I think it means like maybe be careful because maybe someone, you know, if, if you become too scared to prospect, you know, or make a mistake, you know, part of working for an organization, by the way, I think is like, do you have the ability to make a mistake? Do you have that psychological safety within an organization? Like mistakes are a part of like learning. And so, um, so I think sometimes when we see, see things on, on LinkedIn, it's like a, a, a someone's like personal preference um, when it comes to sales and maybe that their personal preference, everyone has different preferences. So it becomes like really hard to come up with causal explanations of how to get better at sales if we're always um, looking at things from the lens of preferences rather than what's driving like revenue. So that's a recent observation I've had. And what are bad recommendations um, are you hearing right now in sales or the Asia world? I see a lot of like complaints on LinkedIn in general about um, SDR prospecting in general. And I, I do think that SDRs and CDRs can go much further in um, creating a better sales experience for people. Like without a doubt, we can all get better at that. There's, um, but some of the complaints I see are kind of like, um, okay, like that, I don't see this as like a widespread issue, right? And it, it just, a lot of times it seems like one off or things like that. So I think, um, it's, I think like it's okay to make mistakes, period. And I think sometimes we, um, we get in this reluctant mindset of like not reaching out to someone or not calling or having call reluctance or spending too much time researching um, because we are paying too much attention to naysayers who aren't selling themselves. And I wouldn't even pay attention to messages like that because mistakes are a part of learning and we need to give ourselves that space to make mistakes and learn. And that's part of the process. Um, and then as long as we're learning from those mistakes, um, our managers are giving us coaching um, and feedback and we're, we're growing, I think then you're doing everything you can. So, um, so yeah, those are, those are my thoughts on that. Well, um, so it was a really fun conversation and uh, thank you for taking the time today to, uh, to be on the podcast. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share uh, with the people who are listening or watching this? Um, well, I do have a book coming out, um, but maybe I'll come back and uh, announce that on a, on a separate, uh, on a separate podcast. <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, let's do a second episode when your book uh, will be out. So thank you for everything. It was nice to see you. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you.